0: Of the Yoga Focus Podcast. This week I'm going to be talking about our yoga board, about this concept of self-inquiry. And this is something that I did pull from the breathing book, which is what I've been talking about um, the last episode, and um, I've been posting some things about it on my social media, different quotes and things, because there's a ton of great quotes that I took out of that book but this kind of goes beyond just what i was reading in the breathing book to this movement that's happening in the yoga community specifically with teachers and the modern movement that's happening in yoga to update and find better practices within the way that we convey the information of yoga and i think this is really a cornerstone to what's happening in that modern movement of updating our teaching. This idea of self-inquiry is really rather new in yoga. The traditional system of how information was passed from teacher to student, especially if we go back to the original guru structure where there was a teacher that had the information, they would accept students, and then those students were really expected to follow what the Guru said and follow the Guru's instruction pretty much to a tee. There was no room for questioning. There was no room for adaptation at that point. Um, what the Guru said was the way that the practice was supposed to go and there wasn't a lot of individual variation for people to follow. Fast forward many many years and I feel like since i got into yoga about 15 years ago there has been a really strong movement toward adaptation and i think iyengar yoga had a lot to do with that when iyengar yoga really started to come up and be more widely practiced there was this introduction of using props and to use the props to modify or adapt the poses To fit a wider range of body types and movement abilities and different levels of strength so that opened up this whole wonderful area in yoga where the poses weren't just done in one way but as we move forward and really understanding things in movement science not just in terms of asana but also in the world of therapy and sports and things like that All of the things that fall under the movement umbrella and even going outside of the scope of movement to psychology and uh, self-growth and self-development all of those things are moving in this direction of cultivating this skill of self-inquiry it's this process of taking the information that we have internally and opening up our receptivity to that information, creating stronger lines of communication so that when our body is giving us information the line of communication is open so it actually gets into um, our awareness and just being open to what your individual experience is rather than feeling like you have to have this very specific one-size-fits-all experience. The perfect example that I have up on the board is this idea that a lot of times when you're teaching, especially when you have newer students or I run into this a lot when I'm doing teacher trainings, students who are transitioning into that teacher role want you to tell them exactly what they're supposed to do. What the right way is, what the wrong way is, and how they should convey the, quote, right way to the students. The problem is a lot of times there's a gray area. There is no hard rule of exactly the way that you're supposed to do things. So instead of this question of what should I feel, looking to that authority figure, looking to that guru, or to that teacher, and saying, well, what am I supposed to be getting out of this pose? Where am I supposed to feel the stretch? energetically or in terms of the nervous system is this supposed to be upregulating or downregulating which is another thing that's going to be different for a lot of people different sensory input for some people might be upregulating for other people it might be downregulating there's a lot of variety that goes into that but we're trying to change that thought pattern from looking toward the teacher and saying what should i feel to empowering the student to say what am I feeling because for every single person in that class if you're doing a group practice it's going to be a different answer they all have different body structures they all have different levels of experience and one of the things that I like to really think about when I do my class it's a nighttime class it's at 630 so you've had a whole day of Doing things and going places that have impacted the way that your body feels at that point so when you're first coming into that class you have maybe some tension maybe stiffness uh, maybe fatigue or maybe excitement anything that happened to you during the day there's some residue that you are bringing with you into your practice so starting from that space of Self awareness of, well, how do I feel after the events and the experiences that I had during my day today? Because that is probably totally different than the person right next to you on their mat and what they did during their day. Very different starting point. um, Before we even take into account how many years of experience you have with practice or what your physical fitness level is, just bringing that down to the scope of, well, what did I do today? Once we have introduced this idea to our students that we don't want them to be as dependent on us as the teacher to give them the information, to tell them or dictate what their experience is supposed to be, um, which also creates this distinction between doing the pose the right way or doing the pose the quote wrong way and there really is just this personal experience of what is the way that you need to do the pose right now what is the way that's going to work the best for your body right now and of course that's going to change day to day Um, it might change from the beginning of class to the end of class or um, anywhere within the scope of your practice of course over the years that I've been practicing yoga I've seen really really dramatic changes in my experience in the poses, my internal dialogue um, where my attention goes, all of those things have changed so much and when you have this very rigid idea of what the pose is supposed to be it doesn't leave that space for evolution and change and development within the practice where when we flip that over and we start to teach and lead our students and lead ourselves into more of a self-inquiry based practice, then we're honing that skill of being curious, of being in this place of using your practice to explore what is there instead of seeking and forcing what is supposed to be there. So that baseline question of what am I feeling is something that you can bring as a theme throughout your practice. One of the things that I've tried to work on myself in terms of how I'm teaching my students is instead of giving them concrete things or specific cues, I try to give them questions that they can ask themselves within the pose that will bring them into that space of self-inquiry and help them to dive a little bit deeper into that pose based on how they're able to explore that question and I put a couple of those questions down on the bottom. One of the questions that I was actually using a lot during class this week was where does your breath start? Where is that first little bit of movement where your inhale originates? And that could be a very specific physical space in the body. You might be able to close your eyes and really focus and say, okay, I feel it right there, right in the center two inches. I don't know, you might, you might get really specific and some of my students did, but I'm also kind of opening it up to you don't necessarily have to answer that question in a really um, specific way. It could be more general. It could be a sense of an area or maybe an energy shift that you feel happening when you transition from the exhale the space at the bottom of the exhale to that little movement into the inhale, that first bit of effort that we're using to start to draw breath in. The interesting thing about this is you can take one of these questions and there's this never-ending complexity to it because every pose that you do it will be slightly different. Every time you have a different energy or a different level of arousal, you're going to have a shift in your breath because your nervous system is working differently so the exact specifics of the breath is going to change slightly. Um, So an example of that would be maybe you're in Shavasana, you just go down into Shavasana, you're totally comfortable, so relaxed, so focused because you've done all that work throughout your practice. And in that space of stillness, you start to really focus your attention down and ask yourself, where does that first little bit of inhale start? What does that feel like in Shavasana? So you notice that and you watch it. And then, the very next day, you might be in a really stressful situation. You're late for work, there's a traffic jam, there's an accident, you have a flat tire, any of those kind of things that get you a little bit tightly wound. And then in that moment of feeling really stressed and irritated, ask yourself, where is my breath originating? Where's that first little bit of movement that draws the air into my body? And then you get this comparison Um, and there's a there's a whole range of experience in between those two that's kind of my examples of the two different ends of the spectrum but within your yoga practice we have those poses that are a little bit more activating and uplifting or the poses that are calming and down regulating so the experience of where your breath starts will be quite different in both of those situations there are Also, this whole other category of poses that are really physically demanding where your breath um, is going to get faster and shorter because you are exerting yourself. Like if you were sprinting, you have to really have that breath going because you are taxing your cardiovascular system. The same thing could be true in a yoga pose where you have a lot of muscular effort, especially in the legs, you're really engaging your large muscles. So your breath pattern is going to change. It can't be that super slow, super wide, easy breath, like we would use in a very relaxed position. There's going to be a change. So you're just watching all of that and giving your brain that question to ask is a really nice way to work on your focus and your attention during your practice. If you are someone who feels like your mind tends to wander, giving yourself a specific question in terms of the self-inquiry practice to work through while you're in your poses or while you're doing your breath work uh, will give your brain something to feel like it's working on. The brain is kind of like a, a puppy. Red is finally over on the couch being quiet. Um, but <laughs> Sometimes when he really wants attention, I have to give him a bone or something that he can chew on, and that will keep him content and um, quiet in the corner. Our brain is kind of the same way. When our brain gets really wound up and it feels like it has to do things, it has to feel involved, um, if you're very still and—oh, there's Red giving his Um, input—if you're very still and the mind starts to go, I've I've done this pose already, I'm getting bored, it will start to then go and try to entertain itself with some sort of worry or drama or um, planning something that you need to do later. But instead, we're handing your brain that bone that it can chew on in the form of a question, a question that has an infinite number of answers so that we can always keep working on it. The next component of this that I wanted to talk about is this idea of closing your eyes within your practice, whenever you feel comfortable with that. And that's going to be a little bit different for everybody. Sometimes it will feel uncomfortable to have your eyes closed, so totally fine to keep them open. But I encourage you that when you do feel that comfort level with being able to close your eyes, this comes back to that idea of Pratyahara that When we withdraw from the senses, we have a tremendous amount of attention that we can focus internally. We become so much more receptive to our internal experience when we're not distracted by that external stimulation. And vision is a huge part of that. We are very visual creatures. So when the eyes are open, you're looking around the room, you can't help but see other people in their poses. And there's this very easy jump to comparison or to judgment or um, a lot of times I'll have this from newer students, they'll look up at me and after class make some kind of a a comment of, well, my pose didn't look like that, how come my pose doesn't look look like your pose? And I usually have to come up with some sort of an answer of my body structure is different, my years of experience doing yoga are different we have to be really careful not to allow ourselves to take that leap into judgment or comparison so I find that closing your eyes is a very easy way to give yourself some space from that, give yourself a break from looking around the room. Um, It also lets you find your own pace and to connect more to the internal sense of your breath or the body sensations that you're getting when you're in a particular pose or to watch your thought patterns or your emotional patterns that are unfolding during that course of your practice that day. So that ability to close your eyes to decrease the um, feeling of having to compare yourself and to give a stronger internal focus. The last couple of weeks before I started back to filming the yoga boards and recording these talks, I went through several weeks with my students in the yoga focus class talking about building up self-awareness of how we can strengthen that skill of being aware of what our experience is. Because sometimes it takes a while to kind of figure out, well, why do I feel this way? What what exactly do I feel? Can I um, nail it down to something specific? really takes some practice on different levels physical, mental, emotional, all of those levels it takes us practice to build strong self-awareness in all of those realms and once we have that self-awareness we can build upon that skill to go into this space of self-regulation and I love the skill of self-regulation Especially in terms of yoga because we have those categories of what is up-regulating and what is down-regulating So you go through this process of how do I feel right now? That's the self-awareness and then Asking what am I getting ready to do? What am I preparing for? And if you say something like I'm getting ready to go to bed in 20 minutes um and you're feeling rather tightly wound, what do I have to use to prepare myself to get into that space of being able to unwind and go to sleep? Um, So an easy answer to that might be some really slow, deep breath work in restorative yoga poses, like really supported, yummy, propped, um, comfortable fuzzy blanket poses. (laughs) That will get me right into that space where I'm ready to go to sleep for sure. Um, Or it might be the opposite where you're getting ready to go Go to work or do a presentation and you have to be really up and focused and energetic So it's going to be a whole different set of poses that would get you prepared for that Um, but Understanding when to implement one versus the other is filling up that toolbox of self-regulation tools the difference is that um, what I had mentioned earlier, some people are going to find some things really regulating and other people are going to not find them very regulating. Um, So there's some self-inquiry that has to go into that to understand how you personally respond to different types of sensory input. That's actually something that I go into a little bit more detail in the manual, the yoga therapy at the wall manual self-regulation and self-awareness. So, I'll jump down to this next part on the board. So it says turning the turning of your attention and curiosity inward toward yourself and the truth of your nature. And this starts to bring us down to the really deep core of what we're doing in this self-inquiry based yoga practice. The question that we can pose in terms of concentration or meditation is this question of who am I? And this is a question that we could hold on to and use in meditation from now for the rest of our lives because it's so rich and so deep and it's interesting to watch the way that the brain initially wants to answer that question. A lot of times when we first hear that question, who am I, we have all of these answers from our brain. Um, A lot of times they're labels, they are rules that we fill in our life, that you are a sister, a mother, a husband, a wife, um, a teacher, All of these different roles that you fill in your life and then you have to go down a little bit deeper and say okay but if I didn't have those roles if I didn't have those labels who am I on that next layer down and then you might get a a little bit more of a sense of your body and your breath and kind of where you sit in so you just continue with that process moving down a layer moving down a layer, and posing that question of, who am I? So that, again, could keep us busy for the rest of our exploration within yoga. And it's a really nice question to pose toward the end of your practice, maybe right after shavasana, when you're in that state of really nice clarity. Another question that falls into this category of self-inquiry that I enjoy working with is the question Who is experiencing this? This particular question I find useful when maybe you're going through something a little bit more difficult in your life and you feel totally overwhelmed or absorbed in that anger, frustration, sadness. When those emotions get really strong and difficult to handle, asking yourself who is experiencing these feelings or these thoughts can create a bit of space between you and that experience. We're stepping back into that position of being the observer, of watching what's unfolding in the mind or what's unfolding on our emotional sheath and it can give you a bit of relief in a way that you don't feel like you're totally consumed and absorbed by those thoughts or those feelings. And it helps us to gain a little bit of perspective of going back to that question of who am I? Who is that person, that being, that is experiencing all of these different things in life. And it could be used um, during pleasant experiences too, but I tend to use that a little bit more when I'm going through the difficult stuff. That's more when I reach for those, um, those tools. So, starting to think about your practice and kind of questioning some of the things that you felt like were very static and um, dictated to you from your teacher or from books or from any other place where you were getting information, but allowing yourself to come at your yoga practice from this space of experiencing and enjoying that openness to the experience instead of having to force and mold into what it's supposed to be or what you were told it should be. Uh, Somebody left a comment on one of my posts that said they like to tell their students you you don't want to should all over yourself, (laughs) which I had to laugh. You don't want to tell yourself that it should be this or it should be that all the time. Um, Just creating that level of openness to exactly what it is. One of the big questions that this whole process brings up and it's one of the things that we ended up talking about in my class this week was um, I personally don't tend to do hands-on adjustments anymore I've never really loved them Um, maybe because I've had some adjustments done to me as a student that didn't feel good Um, borderline injury-causing adjustments that were just too aggressive Um, so I've never really loved hands-on adjustments for multiple different reasons but putting your hands on a student and pushing them into a certain shape is very similar to saying no I didn't like the way that you're doing that pose I want it to look like this. I want it to look like this as the person pushing you there um, and it may or may not feel good or okay in that student's body within the context of a group class a lot of people are not going to say something to you. If you adjust them and it doesn't feel good, they're not going to say, oh hey, that hurt, or oh no, I can't do that some of the time. Um, I just don't feel like it's a a good context for that. Private sessions are a whole different thing. I will do a lot of hands on during a private session when there's a give and take between the teacher and the student, and there's this openness to exploring self-inquiry. The teacher is really facilitating that self inquiry on a one person basis, which is so much more intense and uh, helpful in terms of putting your hands on that student. One of my students brought up this point when we were talking about doing hands on adjustments that um, she has flat feet, and a lot of times her flat-footed position will cause the knee to fall in slightly in Warrior Two, and of course if you have done teacher training you know one of the first things that you are taught for Warrior Two is never ever let the knee fall in like your knee will explode if that happens which I guarantee it will not Um, but teachers will go around and nudge the knee out toward the side so that there's a perfect line from the knee back to the hip and that's supposed to be ideal alignment But this particular student told me that when they get that adjustment of having their knee pushed out toward the side, it causes hip pain. That being in that alignment, even though it looks good aesthetically and it looks like the picture in the book, for her body, it doesn't work. Um, Maybe even causing injury in the hip. So if I were to walk over and do that adjustment and say, I want the pose to look like this, push your knee out toward the side and she didn't feel the freedom to verbalize to me that it didn't feel good in her hip and stayed there. Um, That's something that I never want to happen in my class. So that's one of the reasons why I will tend to not do physical adjustments in my group class. I just don't feel like it's a good context for there to be a give-and-take between the student and the teacher, which is so essential. Um, it becomes this one-way street where the teacher is saying, no, I want this alignment. Um, so think about that in terms of the self-inquiry. Um, I like to think of it kind of like the idea of the proverb or the story of if you want to feed somebody for one day, you give them a fish. If you want to feed them for a lifetime, you teach them how to fish. If you want somebody to understand movement and feel connected to their body, um, rather than pushing them into the shape that I want, I want to try to get them to explore their body and feel where they're trying to move into internally. It's going to be a longer road for them to get into that ideal spot, but it's going to be much more beneficial in the journey of getting there than it is if I just shove them into that. So I kind of think of it that way. It's, it's a little bit more of a um, involved process. It's going to take you more attention, more effort, but in the end you're going to get so much more out of it if you get there on your own than if I kind of drag you into it. So um, let me know. That of course there's a giant <laughs> debate right now on adjustments and hands-on and all kinds of things like that. But let me know how you feel about that. If you've ever had an adjustment that maybe didn't feel good or if you love getting adjustments. I know some students will only go to classes where they get hands-on and that's fine if you like that. But, um, let me know how you're trying to cultivate this sense of self inquiry, whether you're a student and you're practicing or you're a teacher and you're guiding others. How are you bringing that sense of self-inquiry into the practice so thank you so much for joining me on our second episode of the yoga focus podcast so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019 which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I've worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. And you can really start to understand when you look at the book, why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So, This manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. You can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy. And my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search yoga therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.